What's up, Doc? Good morning! Oh, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Greetings and salutations. Hello, Poppy. Hello there. Kindly ho, neighborinos! You are cleared to land on Docky Bay 77, a podcast about movies, music, TV, and anything else these guys can think to talk about. Hello, hey, hi, and welcome. This is the Docky Bay 77 podcast, and I am Dayton Johnson, and I am super excited to discuss the movie we have chosen for this evening, afternoon, morning, whenever you are listening to this. It is a favorite of mine from the 90s. Uh, it is kind of an unknown movie from a well-known director. Um, I think it missed the mark, and I think a lot of people skipped it for a lot of different reasons. We're going to talk about the movie from 1999, directed by John McTiernan, starring Antonio Banderas. It is 13th He was fortunate to have the love of the most beautiful woman in the kingdom. Unfortunately, she was the king's wife, and he was banished forever. Go with God! You listening? Now, this man of peace has wandered into a land at war against an enemy that comes without warning and leaves without a trace. They are demons. You must know that 13 men have been chosen to destroy this evil. What the hell are you saying? The 13th man is you. Now, one man. Tell them I am no warrior. Who has never known courage. <laughs> of that they are aware. Will join 12 warriors. I cannot leave this. Grow stronger. Who have never known fear. Let's go, little brother. I do not enjoy heights and become something he never dreamed possible. Prepare yourself. One of them. From Michael Crichton, author of Jurassic Park, and John McTiernan, director of Die Hard. Thirteenth Warrior. All right, and joining me to discuss this uh, lost movie, I guess is a good way to describe it. Uh, we have uh, documentary filmmaker David Burns joining us again. Hello, David. Hello. How are you? I'm fine. I'm Good. fine. And you, and you are okay as well, I guess. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Very, very cool. So um, now, David, did you see this one in the theater? Did you uh, rent it? Because uh, I know we were both working at uh, Suncoast at the time that this came out. So what do right. you remember about when this came out? So I do remember it coming out in August of 99. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe I didn't see this until it was on video or uh, yeah, videos when I saw it, because I believe The Sixth Sense came out around the same time. Yeah, a few weeks and, prior. Yeah, so I believe I might have been on my second or third viewing of The Sixth Sense at the theater. <laughs> <laughs> so this movie kind of got lost for me there, uh, but I did see it on on video and, and enjoyed it. Yeah, I uh, 
I was one of the few that actually saw it in the theater. And, uh, you know, full disclosure, I had a bit of a man crush on Antonio Banderas at this point. <laughs> um, I loved Assassins, Desperado, of course. Mm-hmm. One of the, it's such a great homage to the Spaghetti Westerns. Yep. Um, I, you know, Mask of Zorro was so much fun. So yep. when I heard this was coming out, I'm like, okay, you have John McTiernan, a uh, good director, working with Antonio Banderas, who's really hot it right now and i was like okay and it's vikings so of course i'm going to see this yeah and i think it was like me and like three other people in the theater so it was a little disappointing but um i remember at suncoast when it came out i was trying to push it and you know hey have you seen this and nobody Mm -hmm. had so yeah it was uh you know i liked it and i'm glad we're getting to talk about it so um before we get into the movie uh, let's talk a little bit about John McTiernan and the guy that directed it. Um, so the, uh, one of the reasons why I chose this movie for this particular month is uh, McTiernan has a birthday. I actually just had one uh, January 8th. He was born January 8th, 1951 in Albany, New York. Um, he actually did attend Juilliard uh, before moving on to the AFI conservatory where he got a master of fine arts. Hmm. Um, right. You know, not too yeah. bad. No. Um, after that, he wrote and directed uh, his first feature called Nomads, which uh, starred Pierce Brosnan. Uh, this was his first lead in a movie. Hmm. Um, it had mixed reviews, but it did get the attention of Arnold Schwarzenegger, who hired him to direct Predator. You know, yes. not a bad move, because <laughs> I think <No. laughs> I think all of us remember Predator. Um, I know yes. I saw that in the theater. Um, yep. That was that was a lot of fun. So he does Predator, which does pretty well. And leads to his gig doing Die Hard, which, of course, everybody knows Die Hard. And, you know, all of us watched it just about a month ago because it is a Christmas movie. It is. Um, (laughs) uh, That was a big hit. So after Die Hard, he gets to do uh, the Tom Clancy adaptation, uh, The Hunt for Red October, which is another really good movie. Mm -hmm. I liked that one. Uh, So he's doing pretty well at this point. Then he does the movie uh, Medicine Man with Sean Connery, which doesn't do very well. uh, Mixed reviews. Uh, whatever. And then he does the next one he does uh, is with another Schwarzenegger film, the last action hero, which uh, I think it's one of those you love or you hate. Yeah. <laughs> I love the soundtrack. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. It's a very yes, good soundtrack. I, I'll agree with you on this. Okay. Right. <laughs> we won't touch it. No, we'll leave that one alone. And then after that um, in 1995, he does uh, the third diehard movie, diehard with a vengeance, which I really liked that one. Me too. I did too. Um, I, you know, uh, Sam Jackson is in it, of course. Uh, and um, Jeremy Irons was a really good villain, of course. Mm-hmm. So now you move to uh, 1999, which is when this movie came out. As you mentioned, it came out in August. And also uh, another Pierce Brosnan movie. He um, he redoes the Thomas Crown Affair, which mm-hmm. I did see that. And that was actually very good. It was. So two movies the same year. Um, one flopped, one didn't. <laughs> and we're going to talk about the flop. So, <laughs> and then after that, he does a remake of the 1970s uh, action sci-fi movie Rollerball, which was completely panned by critics, and nobody saw it. Um, another horrible, uh, you know, flop for him. Mm-hmm. And then the last feature film he directed uh, was the 2003 uh, movie Basic with uh, Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson. Um, that one didn't do very well either. And then shortly after that. He got into some legal trouble with the feds. Uh, he was charged with uh, um, basically perjury and lying to a federal agent um, about wiretaps that were uh, used um, to basically kind of spy on 
So I know I believe it was a producer or whatever. We'll leave a lot of the names out of it just because if you're really interested in uh, hearing the rest of it, you can look it up. Um, but he was convicted and he did have a plea bargain and he served just a little bit less than a year in prison uh, from April of 2013 to February, 2014. And which is a little sad. And ever since then, he's been pretty much doing nothing. Um, the only other thing he did was a short film called red dot, which uh, Ubisoft used as kind of um uh, to get uh, the ball rolling and get uh, some and to get some you know attention for their game, Tom Clancy's mm-hmm. Ghost Recon Wildlands. Hmm. So that was the first thing he had directed since 2003. So um, it's really kind of a shame that somebody who had so many hits there in a row uh, really struggled um, there towards the end of his career, and now his career is pretty much over. He's, he actually at one point was listed as one of the most hated men in Hollywood. Oh, gee. So he's definitely blacklisted then, huh? Yeah, I don't think we're going to get any new movies from him for a while, <laughs> which is which is unfortunate because it there is. was a lot of good movies in there. A lot of good movies. So, yeah. All right. So uh, let's talk a little about the uh, 13th Warrior. Uh, do you have yeah. some production history for us? I do have a little bit of that. Um, so as we all know, this is based on Michael Crichton's uh, 1976 novel called Eaters of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty good, pretty good book if you yep. haven't read it. So, I have. Uh, actually, def- I own a definitely. copy of it right good. over there on my shelf. <laughs> good. Yeah, highly recommend it for sure. Yeah. Um, it's sort of, I guess, a retelling of Beowulf, I guess you could say. Yeah, I think um, they combined that and this, those quote, memoirs of the, the ambassador. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So because it's shown through the eyes of the scholar known as Ahmed Ibn Fadlan, I'm guessing if, I, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Sure, we'll go with that. Uh, yeah, we'll go with that. Uh, it went into production in 1997. As it seemed during this time, it was obviously a huge uptick on Michael Crichton films. And, you know, I mean, I know we had some Michael Crichton films from the 80s, but uh, the Jurassic Park really, uh, you know, set that on fire. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, they wanted to jump on the bandwagon here. Uh, the film was uh, went into production being uh, directed, as you said, by John McTiernan. Uh, who is known for his action sequences, and it is quite shown well throughout this film mm-hmm. uh, with you know the battle uh, scenes, except right. for one in particular, and I know we'll get around to that. We'll talk <laughs> about it. Um, it was to be released in 98. However, it wouldn't see wide release until 99. Right. Uh, yeah, the film would be released by Touchstone, and it, of course it would star the wonderful Antonio Banderas. Absolutely. Uh, who was right off the hot of uh, Mask of Zorro. Right. Um, which I love that film as well. Oh, I love that movie. Such, yeah. gr- such great swordplay in that movie. Absolutely. Um, Omar Sheriff, Richard Bremer, and Vladimir Kolich would also star in this, just to mm-hmm. name a few. Right, right. Yeah. And it would have the music by the amazing and talented Jerry Goldsmith. Who didn't do the original. Uh, remember he did that? not. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I guess when, uh, well, I guess you it might was... mention the reshoots. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to mention that. Uh, it was shot in British Columbia, Canada. Uh, the film had tr- a troubled production, <laughs> and when finished by McTiernan, it had a disastrous test with audiences that kind of sent the film into a tailspin. Mm. Um, apparently, at this point, there was a falling out or creative differences, as they <laughs> like to say in Hollywood. Right. <laughs> so uh, Michael Crichton actually took over the film, uh, did some reshoots, mm. including a new ending, and even, as you just mentioned, throughout the score that was already done by Graham Revell. This was uh, basically a tale of two directors as uh, some of the story and character development is noticeably lost in the film. And that's one of my dislikes. And I know we'll get around talking about that. Right, right. You know, this film basically has two endings. 
Um, yes. you know, which is very frustrating to me. It probably is to you and probably to the rest of the audience, but we'll talk about it. Yeah. Uh, this, of course, ballooned the budget. Which some were saying it hit $160 million. Right. Um, it would open to a miserable $10 million and only go on to make $62 million worldwide. But hey, it was second in the box office after the Sixth Sense when it was opening weekend. It was, yes. And only because the Sixth Sense has been there for a little bit. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's where it ended for it. So Yeah. But I think some of that, we'll talk about that later. So. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, pretty much a troubled production this film had. And I, it, it seems like, you know, with you mentioning what was going on with John McTiernan later, um, it seems like each film as he was progressing here started a downfall for him, it seems like, because with the troubled production, you know, once he had this um, disastrous uh, test with the audience, it seems like there was a big falling out at that point. And I think that yeah. might have started his downfall. Yeah, it's like... Um... I'm not quite sure. I didn't really look it up, but I'm not quite sure. I, he must have gone off and done Thomas Crown Affair after he finished shooting this. Because mm-hmm. um, for them to come out the same year, that would make sense. Right. So it just goes to show that, you know, he, he at that point could still make, you know, a very good quality film. Mm-hmm. So maybe he was just in over his head with this one. Maybe he just didn't grasp the source material. I don't know. But um, yeah, we'll talk it's, about that. It's, I mean, it's really unfortunate. But it is. Yeah. And and you can definitely tell and we'll mention it how there is noticeable changes in mm-hmm. uh, in tone and things like that. Once you can once you know that there was reshoots, you can kind of see what was oh, yeah. shot. So, yeah. All right. Just so, so much got lost in the structure, too. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. So real quick, we'll do a, a quick synopsis uh, before we get into uh, likes, dislikes and all kind of fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, for those listening, if you haven't seen it, spoilers ahead. So this yes. is your only warning. <laughs> um, if you want to go watch it, cool. And then come back and listen to the rest of this if you if you want to do that. Okay. Absolutely. So um, uh, Ahmad, we'll just call him Ahmad because it's yeah, easy. That's fine. Uh, it's Banderas' <laughs> character. Um, he gets a little too close to the wife of a powerful noble and basically mm-hmm. gets uh, punished uh, by being made an ambassador and gets sent on his merry way. Uh, Momar Sharif you know, kind of is his guide at this point. And uh, that's another thing. Omar Sharif kind of irritated with his part in this movie. Anyway. um, So they come across a group of Northmen and they, uh, they meet and um, they get recruited to travel to a village that is being uh, tormented by an ancient evil of sorts. Um, And they, and while they're there and having this discussion, uh, the an old woman um, known as the Angel of Death um, drops the bones on the ground and and tells them that they need uh, thirteen men to go, and uh, but one of those thirteen men has to be not a Northman. Mm-hmm. So that's how Banderas's character gets snagged into the whole thing, and he goes from being a poet to being a warrior, and that's kind of funny. But yeah. so they get there. <laughs> so. Uh, they get there and they find out there is something there and they, and the, and I'm a, you know, my character and the Vikings work together to figure out how to solve the problem. And uh, there's a lot more, but that kind of gives you a basis for what it is. It's not a huge plot. It's a very no. simple plot. Um, and I don't think that hurts it too much, but you know, they're going there to be the heroes and, and it's like I said, got Vikings and Antonio Banderas. So what else do you need? Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's all I needed when I heard about it. I was like, yes. Yep. I mean. 
Okay. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about uh, some likes. So uh, what, what do you like about the movie? Well, first off, I'm, I'm a history buff. So any, right. anytime, anything with historical films like this, I'm obviously going to be on board right away. But one of the things I absolutely liked was the attention to dialect in this yes. film. So the, the one scene that particularly sticks out to me is when Ahmed was with them. He'd already left um, Sheriff's uh, character. Right. They were on their way uh, to you know the uh, village. And he, they were right around a campfire, and he yes. had to start learning their dialect. And, you know, and so he's sitting there and just paying closely attention to them, watching their mouths move as they're talking. And I just thought it was done so well on how he learned it, because if you pay attention, you will even notice every now and then a word, he'll understand a word, and right. we will too as an audience. a man can eat so so then he says do not foretell me wife for i will get no supper when i come home tonight yeah the, until eventually the sentences are together and i thought yeah. that was fantastic yeah the first time i went through it i didn't notice that it mm-hmm. just it, it just seemed like all of a sudden he understood them yep. um but on rewatches you kind of do hear every once in a while you hear a uh, you know, an English word in there from time yep. to time. You're like, Oh wait, he's, you know, he's learning the dialect and he's learning how to speak. And it's, it's really, really cool. Especially how he lets them know um, about that. He knows what they're saying now. And they start mm-hmm. talking about his mother and the other guy's mother and, yep. and how he doesn't know who his father is all that kind of fun stuff, but looks like that one's mother. <laughs> My mother. <laughs> was pure woman from a noble family and I at least know who my father is uh, but yeah that's a great great scene it's it's yeah. it's well done it's it's similar to what he did in the hunt for October yep um, but this one I think is way more clever it way is. more clever. Way more and clever. I even like the way even uh, Antonio Banderas, like when he was responding to them, finally speaking in their language, mm-hmm. that he went really slow. Like it was almost like he was being careful in what words he was choosing. Did you notice that? Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. See, and honestly, that, you know, to go to something that I, I didn't like really quick at that point in the movie, um, mm-hmm. anything prior to that felt a little disjointed and choppy yes um, it, it it there's a couple of the scenes were just so quickly put together mm-hmm. when they get to that campfire you kind of feel like okay now we know what we're doing right <laughs> so right. okay <laughs> all right so what else do you like so um obviously i like the the, the whole battle sequences that mctiernan did film yeah um, i thought those are all filmed really really well mm-hmm. um 
and you know because he was he's an expert at that kind of stuff and you know he shows off when it comes and shines at that kind of stuff and then when uh michael Crichton takes over and again we'll We'll talk about that a little bit later. <laughs> you can you can obviously tell the differences between his action sequences and uh, McTiernan's action sequences. Um, so the, the fighting and stuff like that. Um, there's one character I, I really liked, uh, but I know you've got that a little bit later as well. Mm-hmm. So you know I really don't want to talk about that either. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think you know just the whole aspect, the sets. Oh you know, yes, this this isn't a time when they actually built big sets, which is probably why the film was a little bit more expensive than <laughs> yeah. you, know, you really wanted. Um, because as you know, today a lot of stuff is CGI, which is okay, but there's nothing like a physical set. Agreed. And you can just see just how massive this set is in the film, and I absolutely love that. I really, yeah. really do, and I appreciate those older films who did this. Yeah, yeah, and um. Yeah, the set pieces are definitely really nice. I I love the village they go to and how they have to build all the, mm-hmm. you know, the the defenses and everything. Um, you have the little uh, lookout towers, and then you have the homestead that they go to to find the the families uh, beheaded, and yep. and of course later when they go into the cave after the mother, um, that you know is is very very cool. So yeah, the set pieces are wonderful. Um, I mean, to me, it's like like I said vikings were enough to get me to watch the movie right the villa the the ancient evil the uh, vendel those things are creepy as hell yes they are <laughs> yeah they're just they're just creepy you know um they're the eaters of the dead you know they think yeah. they're animals so um so anyway uh and you're right in the action sequences are pretty good um it mm-hmm. is exciting um i did find it interesting that uh, they kind of they started off a little not so great, and then they kind of worked their way up to really good, and then they kind mm-hmm. of they they weren't as consistent as I would have liked to seen. Mm-hmm. Um, I de- I did like it the first night when they were pretending to sleep in the circle in the middle of the uh, building, and they come in through the walls. That one yeah. was really really good, and then also the first major assault on yep. the on the village was really really good as well. So. Um, and I, I really liked how Bandos's character started to earn their respect, mm-hmm. you know, from the, in, for the initial insult about the guy's father. And, you know, uh, when he rides the horse around and jumps the horse. And then later right. when he, he, uh, he takes the massive sword that he can't carry and, and carves it down basically to a scimitar yep. and, and wields it. And they're like, oh, okay, sure. You know, you can kind of tell, um, because they kind of teased him about bringing a dog to the, you know, to a war and all this other stuff, meaning his horse. And mm-hmm. so I liked that. I really enjoyed, um, and you know, the relationship he started to form with these people. Yeah. Uh, so with the Vikings. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. I, really I do agree. It's, it's one of the few good character developments that you see in the script. Yes. Yes. One of the few. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, so, um, so if uh, you want to move on to what we don't like. Sure. <laughs> okay. sure. There's a few of that. I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, and I already mentioned that the opening, like uh, from, it starts off, he's on the, you know, from, from the get go, he's mm-hmm. on the pirate ship and then he, or not the pirate ship, wrong movie. He's on the <laughs> Viking ship. He's on the Viking longboat. And yep. then he cuts back to gives us a little history of what happened to him. Mm-hmm. And then now they're being chased by bandits and then yep. then they're on the beach and here come the northmen and then it just it, it's so you know not put together very well yeah and it's very it's, choppy yeah until you get to the campfire 
Yep. So yep. yeah, the beginning the beginning feels kind of a mess. It, Let's it just is. put it that way. <laughs> yeah, no, I completely agree with you. You know, that's one of my problems with the film is just that opening. I, I feel like, you know, some films they can do a near a narrative opening, you know, pretty well, but this one right. it just seemed like, why are you telling us all this? Just let it come out in dialogue, you know? Right. I would have opened this film probably when he first met the Northmen at, you know, when they were doing the funeral for the, for the King. Um, I would have probably just opened it up there as he's arriving and then allowed, you know, his background come out in the dialogue more. Let us learn, you know, let us, you know, look through his eyes and learn as he's going instead right. of just telling us a narrative. I did, I did not yeah. like that at all. I mean, yeah, he could have been sitting there having a conversation like uh, they could have been when they're riding to the village or, mm -hmm. um, after the first encounter, they could just, it could be one of those conversations he's having with, with, uh, uh what's his name? Um, Herger, the interpreter, yep. uh, the one with him, you know, it could be having a conversation with him and, and how he ended up there. Yeah. Right. You know, we should know, we should learn as from about him as the Vikings would learn about him. I think that you're yeah. right. I think that would have been a lot more, um, it would have helped develop more, uh, character, uh, with, so yeah, absolutely. I agree. And, and it goes along with the whole, the whole dialect thing, the way they were focused on that, that would have helped that even more too. Absolutely. Yeah. You're totally right. Um, now there was one, and we mentioned that there was not a whole lot of development uh, with a lot of the characters. Mm -hmm. One of the things I really think was a total failure was uh, the Prince. The one that was kind of challenging uh, them. Um, and yes. it's like you introduce this character who's obviously an asshole yeah. <laughs> And, and then uh, he they challenge his redheaded friend to a duel, basically. Mm -hmm. And I love that sequence because, you know, he totally is toying with them and you know he's toying with them. Yep. And then he chops his head off. So, uh, but my issue is he's like, he serves no purpose aside from that. It's like either make him more of a problem, make yeah. him more of an issue, or just don't have him at all. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. That that was a big problem for me was that scene, because yeah. I'm like they just they let it go and just disappears. I'm like, what happened? Yeah, where would he go? <laughs> where did he go? And yeah. I like to call that the big gulp moment. Oh, right. big gulp, huh? Up, oh, see you later. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and there's so many more things you could have done. And it's not like it's a long movie. I mean, it only runs about just an hour and forty minutes roughly. Mm -hmm. So you could have saved some time with the intro. You could have. I mean, you need. You don't really get to know the king of this new village. You don't really get to know the prince. You don't, you know, you don't really get to know, uh, was it Diane? Uh, oh, what's her name? Um, yeah, I don't remember her. Ver name. Uh, Vernana, I believe is her name. Um, the She's in there and I don't, I can't, I can't remember if she's supposed to be the wife. Yeah. Of, so, but she's like, she's there. You can tell she's important, but they really don't spend too much time with her. Right. And then um, uh, you have the a girl that Bandesh's character meets. Uh, and then you get a little bit from her. She's the one that gives them the warning about the prince. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it's, there's just, yeah, there's not and enough. I, I think a lot of that, I was going to say, I think a lot of that might have gotten lost with the, that might have been in McTiernan's uh, version. Um, and then yeah, when maybe. they went back to do reshoots, they might have chopped out some of this character development because it just seems like there's just so much stuff right there missing that just is obvious. Right, right. And it's, and it's unfortunate. I mean, it, you can, and as you said, it was, it was a uh, difficult set, you know, and mm -hmm. I'm sure there was lots of animosity and, um, 
you know, between you know, and the, apparently the studio didn't like his first cut. And right. who knows? I mean, it's one of those that you would kind of, I mean, I don't think we're ever going to get a director's cut because <laughs> no, not from that one. <laughs> not, no, not from the convicted felon, uh, not right. happening. Um, but it would have been interesting to see because, um, of course, I have one of the very first uh, DVDs of the movie mm-hmm. and there's like no bonus features. There's nothing extra on there. Um, to me, that would have been interesting to see uh, the original ending. Um, right. Because I guess I guess in uh, McCarran's version, there was no final battle with Correct. the leader and the mother was an old older woman, older yes. woman, which, yep. you know, which I kind of agree. because That's how it was in the book. And I get that. Mm-hmm. And. I understand why uh, Crichton changed it and made it a little bit more, you mm-hmm. know, not as offensive for them killing an old woman. So, right. but there's gotta be more stuff. There's gotta be more edited scenes or deleted scenes and things like that, that right. would have been nice to have seen. Yeah. So. And, and no, and I agree with you. I mean, it just, it, it seems like, uh, I think Matiran did end it like right after that fight with the mother, like they, they come up out of the water and then I believe they went back to the village. My understanding. I mean, I don't, I've not seen it. I, yeah, it right. doesn't exist. Right. Um, and then, you know, we get the second ending that Michael Creighton um, did. So, but to me, I mean, I guess we can kind of talk about this a little bit because that's one of my biggest dislikes of this film Okay. Um, is the, the second ending that we get, because I mean, we're told in the film by the characters that if they go kill the mother, it's going to be over. Right. So yeah, well, then he then didn't he was it her or somebody else say uh you but you have to kill the leader. But I think that came I think that came that was later. later. You're right, you're right. So so it's almost like the old lady said you have to kill the mother, and then it'll yeah, okay, you're right. And and it'd be over with. So then we get the same thing, like, oh nope, sorry, we were kidding. You actually have to go (laughs) kill the leader now in order for them to disband and go away. So yeah, I mean, and honestly, I don't I don't necessarily mind that you have to kill the leader as mm-hmm. well uh but do it well i mean it wasn't too it wasn't that bad of a sequence but i think considering it was it should have been a final battle yes. it should have been longer yeah you know i mean my problem i mean it was awesome you know that basically beowulf uh comes out and he's poisoned and you know he's gonna die and he yep. makes that one last stand and that's really cool mm-hmm. but it just seems like it was it was over kind of quick yeah, so what a minute and a half maybe into all slow motion. Yeah, it's like once he showed up. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong, it was cool, but at the same time, you're kind of like, wait, you know, what's what's going on? And right. I don't know. It was uh, it was a little, yeah, it was a little disappointing. <laughs> it was a little disappointing. It could have been it could have been longer, more dramatic, and more suspenseful. Yep. But I'm not upset that they had it. I'm just not happy how it turned out. So agreed. Agreed. All right. Uh, anything else you want to complain about before we move on? <laughs> no, not not really. The only okay. one I do I do want to back up though and mention one other thing that I sure, did sure, sure. really like, and that is obviously I want to go back to mention Jerry Goldsmith. Um, right. I'm I'm a big music score buff. I have like tons and tons of scores, um, and Jerry Goldsmith. I have a lot of his because obviously he had done a ton of right. work throughout Hollywood.
Absolutely. Um, so I just want to mention him again on, on his great score. Um, you can detect a little bit of elements of the mummy in first nights throughout the score, but the, it's still mm. an original score on its own because I, I believe the mummy was, was that around that time too? Because uh, yeah, it was that May of, it. of, it was May of that year. Okay. So yeah, that's why you get a little bit of hints right. of, of the mummy. Cause obviously a composer is going to sound a little bit like themselves sometimes, especially when they're doing work on top of other work. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I would be, I would be doing a disjustice if I didn't mention Jerry Goldsmith again, nope. because his score was just beautiful. That's okay. Yeah. Well, he's, yeah, he, he, uh, you can't really argue his, the end result for sure. Yep. yep. So, all right. So uh, let's talk about favorite uh, scene or sequence. Do you have one? Uh, well, I'm, it's going to go back to talking about the, uh, Antonio Banderas learning their language. Okay. Okay. That's, that's cool. my favorite sequence in the film. So yeah. nice. And, and it should, it, it's, it's very clever and it's, and you, if you're paying attention, you could pick up on the words that he's, that he's yep. picking up. So yeah. And it's, uh, you know, it, the, the only complaint I have that about that scene and I have it about a couple other scenes, mm-hmm. uh, is the lighting. Yeah, I, mean, I, I agree. There's early on, it seemed like they weren't really making much, much of an effort to light <laughs> it very interesting, very well. Um, and I think that, and I noticed that uh, again uh, through this through this particular uh, watch. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know if that was the aspect Matirna was going for, and it, it might it very come well off, have been, but it didn't come off well enough. I don't think. Right. So I do agree with that. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the one scene I really, really like. Um, and yours was a great choice, but for whatever reason, I really like it once they go into the cave at the very end. Well, there's so much going on. Um, I like how Banderas figures out they're bears. Where is it? How do you kill a bear? Mm -hmm. And oh, a cave. And so the the opening, how they sneak in and uh, the whole sequence of going over the waterfall and climbing down the side of the wall and you know, and then that one part where they're crawling like right next to all of them through that little ditch, and yep. you know, and they even um, the only complaint it's like they get to where the mother is and they have to fight the guys outside of her little cave, mm-hmm. and then uh, you know, Beowulf goes in, and there's only one other person in there with her, and he dispatches that guy very quickly, <laughs> yeah. and then he has to fight her, and I'm in. I love the the look of it. I like all the fresh heads mm-hmm. and the ropes and stuff like that. And, you know, in the netting or whatever you want to call it, because you can see uh, their recent kills mm-hmm. you know, from the, the other Vikings that, that they lost or hanging in all that stuff. And I like, I like all of that. I like how there's a fight going out just outside that room. And I like how he has to fight her. I kind of wish again, that maybe that battle with her would have been a little bit longer yeah. Um, you know, it, and of course he gets, you know, he gets, you know, nicked with the, the poison, mm-hmm. um, basically setting up his demise. And of course, how they escape is, yep. is very cool. And, um, and I got to tell you, there was one time I remember watching this and I decided I was gonna try and hold my breath. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say I would have died. I would have drowned. In- <laughs> Every time I see a, a scene like that, I'm like, well, this is where I would die. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, but I mean, and it was just really, really well put together. And I know that's the one of the ones that Michael Crichton uh, reshot. Yep. Now, my question is, I don't know how much of that was reshot, if that was his whole thing, or if it, he shot some of it. I know, obviously, he reshot the bit with the, with the mother. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even the set pieces, like the giant statue 
idol of the mother in there and just the bones all over the place. And, right. um, and so I really liked that sequence. I think that was really cool. And um, it's, it would have been a great way to end the movie. It would have, <laughs> but we still got the other fight. So yeah. The, I, what's one thing they did well though, is when they were doing the suspenseful stuff, it was well done. Yeah, it was you know, like when they found like that, that family, like the little boy arrived, yeah, he was naked. And then they had to go find out where he came from. Right. Like that whole scene too, was really well done where they found the family was like slaughtered in there. Yeah. And they're all beheaded. Yeah. All the heads, I mean, were, all the heads were gone. Really, you know, they always say they always take the heads. Yeah. And that was really creepy and just, you know, put you on edge. So that kind of stuff was done well in this film. I just yeah. wish they had just enveloped more of that. <laughs> right. Right. There was, um, there was definitely opportunities. Yes. So we'll, we'll leave, we'll leave it at that for now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you have a favorite character? I do. Okay. Uh, Herger. Herger. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <Me> I too. <laughs> love him so much in this. Right. Um, you know, just when he did the fight, like you, you already mentioned it. Yeah. The, the, yeah, the yeah. fight that he did where he was kind of like, you know, making it look like he was getting his butt handed to him. But in theory, he was just playing with him, yep. you know, just to make it look good. And then just easily beheaded him when it, when it was all said and done. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I love that character so much. Yeah, I like how he uh, calls uh, Van Der character little brother all the time. Yes. Come on, little yes. brother. Uh <laughs> Yeah, it, and it's like I wanted to pick Banderas as my favorite, you know, uh, because it was an he. They at least kind of explored his his character arc mm -hmm. somewhat. Um, you see that he goes from being um, kind of you know a poet that really can't handle a sword to all of a sudden, yes, he can, you know. Right. And uh, so it was his was interesting, and I did like his character. I definitely. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, their their king uh, Beowulf, I liked him a lot. I mean, there was lots of really um, interesting characters, but definitely Herger was probably the most fun to, yep. uh, and he got the most dialogue mm -hmm. from the is, uh, Vikings, right? <laughs> so, Which is probably why we like him so much. Yeah, because, you know, he had the much more character development besides Antonio Banderas. I think if right. he had gotten more of that from the other characters, it might have been a different story for us. Yeah, and and it's surprising because a lot of times you have. Uh, we'll call them ensemble pieces mm -hmm. where you are able to get more information and explore these characters uh, without, you know, you don't have to spend a lot of time, but you just say maybe you need a scene or uh, yep. just some stuff to give us something to hold on to, to understand who they are. And they really, in the final version of this, we really didn't get a lot of that. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which yep. is unfortunate, but yep. yeah, he's, Agreed. yeah, he's definitely uh a great character, a great character. So, <laughs> yep. um, yeah. So, and also I dig their dogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Cause they're cool, man. They're cool. They, That's they, right. Those dogs had no fear, you know, no, no they fear. Didn't. Nope. No. All right. So let's talk a little bit about why did this movie fail? What hmm. do you think? So I, I don't, again, I don't know what the, the studio first saw from McTiernan. I don't know what the test audience had seen, right? but I, I don't know how much Michael Crichton involvement was. I know he was a producer on this film from the mm -hmm. very beginning. Right. So I don't know how much involvement he was when it was first being done, but I don't know if there was a little bit of an entanglement, entanglement there between him and, 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 the, and McTiernan's version. And I don't know if maybe that might've caused some of it. Or if McTiernan was just getting to that stage where he's just like, you know, seeing what was going on in his future after this, that things were just falling apart for him. And he just wasn't able to put something successful together in this film. 
Um, so it could be a combination of all of that stuff. But, you know, I, I would like to think that maybe, and I, I hate to say this because I love when authors are involved right, with, right. With, with movies, because, you know, as you know, the book is almost, we're going to say 99.9% of the chance that the book is always going to be better than the film. See, I want to argue against that, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to leave a little bit of margin of error because I do admit there are some good stuff out there that is better than the book. But and I, I want the author involved, but yes. I feel I feel sometimes though, when an author is completely involved, he's producing the film and he's there all the time. And I'm not saying he was there all the time, but he probably was. Um, the directors, this is supposed to be their vision, not the right. author's vision. Right. So I don't know if that was going on behind the scenes and that caused some of this issue. Um, I would like to think that maybe it was because I'm, I would like to see McTiernan's version to say, okay, yeah, he was way off base, but I don't know that, you know? <laughs> right. Um, all, all I see is what they've given us. So I, I really can't do justice to McTiernan because I never saw his version. For, but from right. what i understanding, um, when Crichton went back, you know, he cut a lot of that character stuff out. And huh. I feel like that's where we got lost, which is really weird to me because this is your book, man. <laughs> well, Why would you cut out that stuff? And the and the interesting thing is, um, for the most part, it's a relatively faithful retelling of the book because the book's only a, not even like 200 pages long. It's really short. Right, right. So it's not like you can't get a lot of that in there. And by the way, I don't like comparing books to movies because different media. Anyway, true, true. Good point. Good point. Good point. Because <laughs> you know, you could have a thousand-page Stephen King book that's yeah. just not going to translate well into a movie because lots of things left out. But whatever. Right. right. Um. Anyway, I that would make sense if there's definitely uh, issues between the producer and the director. You're going to mm -hmm. get problems, and it's going to come through on the screen. And so you have production hell, basically mm -hmm. working against it. Um, reshoots so then you have bad vibes you yep. know that get out to the public and sometimes that's just enough to it is anybody going to see a movie because yep. if there's bad buzz coming out there's a lot of people who's like well i don't want to go see it then it comes out and there were some positive reviews but then you know i mean even if you look on uh imdb the meta score mm -hmm. is like a 45 i think yep which you know now the viewer ratings is like a 6.6 so, I mean, to me, 6.6 .6 makes sense. You know, um, it's not a great movie. It's got problems, but it's definitely fun to watch. Yeah, it's entertaining. And, and like we mentioned, it was already, you, know, you already had The Sixth Sense out, which was the yep. biggest movie of the year. So you really, you know, I just got lost. You would, you would think, you know, a year after Mask of Zorro came yeah. out that that would be enough to make people go. But I think I just, you know, and, and at that point, you know, Vikings weren't cool yet. You know, right. now that we have the, the they Vikings, are now <laughs> yeah Vikings TV series. Um, you know, you have uh, uh, one of the um, uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. So yep. I mean, you, and then there's another Viking movie. I just saw a trailer for uh, that's you come. So you all of a sudden Vikings are cool. The Vikings weren't cool in 1999 apparently so <laughs> <laughs> and and the avengers have to thank for that too with loki and thor and right all of that exactly too, so, so yep. i i think had this movie maybe um come out recently uh, yeah. it might have done a little bit better um because it falls into that you know into the current vein of popularity uh, yep. i definitely think that people need to give it another chance if they haven't seen and i agree it. You know, so um, I, it just had it seemed to have more working against it than working for it. 
Uh, you would think, uh, like the poster even said, from the writer of Jurassic Park and the director of Die Hard and Antonio Banderas, that would be enough to get people yeah. in the seats. But yep. apparently, sadly, it was not. Yeah. And uh, you touched a base on this a little bit earlier, just a little bit ago, when you said that, you know, it, the bad vibes that were coming out on the film. You and I both know when we see a movie keeps getting delayed, keeps getting delayed and keeps getting delayed, and they're talking about reshoots. That's yeah. almost that's almost a death sentence for that movie. Yeah. And you know what? And the thing is, um, a lot of people, because you know as well as I do, that reshoots aren't always a negative thing. Correct. Because sometimes they, they get done with, uh, you know, you know, photography and they go, you know, principal photography is done. They get to the editing room and they go, wait a minute, we're missing something. So we mm-hmm. need to go shoot this. Um, but when they bring in another director to do the reshoots, there's That's when you're kind of like, oh, <laughs> yep. Yep. so then, then, you know, like, you know, this is a year later, it was supposed to get to a year late already. So then you're like, oh, okay. So yeah, that does not help. And I think ultimately <laughs> that's probably, you know, it's probably what hurt it with the bad reviews and stuff. So I don't, I don't think it right. had a chance and with a budget like that, um, whether it was a hundred, you know, hundred million or 160 million, they weren't going to make it back. No way. So. Oh, and and you know, as much as we talk about the stuff that we dislike and we like in this film, I still love this film. Oh yeah, like, it's entertaining. Yeah, I like I said, I uh, I bought the DVD when I saw it. I will admit I bought it used, mm-hmm. but uh, it was at um, uh, a GameStop, and they had it on the shelf, and I it was like ten bucks. I'm like, well, of course I'm going to buy this. You know? <laughs> of course. So I've had this movie since probably 2000. So that tells you yep. how long my DVD, how <laughs> my DVD copy is. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a fun movie to watch. I mean, it is a little gory at times. So if that's mm-hmm. not your thing, then maybe not, but uh, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's got good action. And, you know, like I said, it's got Vikings and uh, it's exciting and there's some good action sequences. The musical score is wonderful, of course. And so it's, yep. it's definitely worth a viewing. I don't, uh, especially in the current uh, situation with the Vikings being popular again. Right. So yeah, I definitely think people would should check it out. Um, it is streaming on Amazon Prime for a little bit of money. You can read it on there. Um, I'm sure if you really look hard enough at half price books or a uh, you know Goodwill, you can find a copy of it as well. Mm-hmm. And it's worth a couple bucks for sure. Absolutely for sure. So um, so anything else you want to say? Any final thoughts about the movie before we no, move I just. On? To, to your to your listeners, if you have not seen this film, please, please check it out because it, it is worth your time. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. All right. Well, uh, thank you, David, for joining me talking about this uh, cool and uh, misunderstood and missed <laughs> feature film from the late 90s. And 99 was a busy year Absolutely. for movies. So it, it, it would got it was just kind of got lost in the mix, I think. So thank yeah, you, David, absolutely. for joining me. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right. And uh so people can uh, check it out where I know you have a documentary out. Uh, where mm-hmm. can people find it? So it is on Vimeo.com uh, right now. Uh, I'm sure you're going to have the link uh, attached, but uh, yep. they can go there. Uh, it's the movie is called in passing on a documentary. Uh, please check it out. All right. Yep. I will put the link for that in the show notes. If you want to check out David's work. Um, and also I want to thank listeners. Uh, we got uh, some more listeners dropping in. Um, it was cool. As the other day, I noticed that we had a new listener from uh, Chile, which is really cool. Um, and uh, it's it just really blows me away. Um, I saw some you know new listener from Orlando, Florida, and just it, it never ceases to amaze me that it seems like every month uh, 
a new city pops up on the list. And I think that's awesome and amazing. And I want to thank everybody for listening. And that is super, super cool. And before I get to my final word here, I just want to mention that uh, I do prefer physical media as well as, uh, you know, like a lot of people that are on my, on the podcast. Um, a lot of that comes from obviously working at Suncoast for six years. You kind of uh, develop a love for ha- having a physical copy in your hand. Um, that being said, it does not mean that I don't enjoy streaming because uh, with my job, I, I stream lots of music all the time. And yes, I watch Netflix, Netflix because of the shows and uh, Hulu and Disney Plus. And so, yes, I do enjoy streaming as well as the next person. But if I'm really going to sit down and listen to some music, I'm going to put on a record or CD. If I really want to watch uh, my favorite movies, it's going to be on DVD or Blu-ray. So please don't misunderstand. Uh, I, I I do enjoy streaming, especially since my podcast is on a streaming services everywhere. <laughs> um, that'd be a little hypocritical. But I just am a firm believer that when it comes down to watching The 13th Warrior, or uh, listening to the score from Jerry Goldsmith, um, physical media is better than streaming. Thank you for listening. This has been the Docking Bay 77 podcast. Opening music provided by Eric Jason Brock. Check him out on YouTube and Bandcamp. If you want to reach out to us on social media, we are on Twitter and Facebook at Docking Bay 77 podcast. Or you can send us an email, dockingbay77podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.